Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge. It's really important that we be well-informed right now as we as individuals, business owners, and as a country are on our back foot as we try to deal with the consequences of coronavirus. And I want to tell you that at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, we are working hard to serve you around the clock. So I promised something a few days ago, and I want to try to explain where we go from here, most likely as a country. I want to share with you that we have been successful here in the United States, uh, as well as other countries, that were late out of the gate on doing things to deal with the potential deaths of coronavirus, we have tried in the aftermath of uh, not being ready right away to try to reduce the number of deaths with these shelters in place or quarantines or state restrictions or whatever. We only have unique um, language for this. We've got many different terms people use and they interpret them differently in different states. But the reality is the number of people that we're going to lose, as tragic as the loss of life is, is much less than it looked like even just two weeks ago because Americans overwhelmingly have, in fact, taken precautions, creating distance from others, spending a lot of time at home, but with the consequence being demolishing our economy same story in other countries that have made a decision to reduce deaths and take the economy down several notches. Because if you look at Sweden, which did not do that, the death rates have been really ugly. You know, we've been so busy looking at what's going on in the United States. But Sweden's idea of just letting things go on as normal creating the herd immunity has come at significant loss of life versus the population in Sweden. We in the United States have a very heavy lockdown, but this cannot go on for an extremely long period of time. Every month that goes by that our economy is in lockdown, it means there are jobs that will not come back, businesses that will shudder permanently and the consequences for us as a nation are so severe so how do you go about getting people back to work well first of all let me give a preamble the likeliest guess from people in public health of when the coast is clear is somewhere around the second week of may where the shelter in place around the country will have really done its job reducing the number of people who get coronavirus, the number of people who die from it. But I want to deal with something that is a grim thing, and that is when we reopen, if we just suddenly say, okay, go back and do everything you were doing before, it will create a second wave of disease. So how do you reopen. You do so gradually. 
And I want to share something that is not really talked about. And I want to be careful this doesn't sound cold or impersonal in any way. But two-thirds of our nation's population is under the age of 50. The people under age 50, and remember, that's like 67% of our population approximately. That 67% accounts for somewhere roughly around 4% of coronavirus deaths. The reality is, as someone ages, and particularly past age 50, every decade, the number of people who end up having adverse medical consequences from coronavirus rises, and the number who die rises. So it is, for whatever reason, a disease that generally, even if it impacts somebody under 50, the impact is generally relatively light. A huge percent of people under age 50 who have sadly passed away are people who have one to three pre-existing medical conditions. So part of reopening is recognizing that we don't go back to the way things were two months ago. It requires that we, as a society, gradually open up and starting with people that are healthy under age 50 being able to go back out and go back to work now remember that's most of the employed population in the United States under age 50 and most have extremely low risk from coronavirus and I think that's so important because when I talk to people that are younger, they're concerned about their relatives or people they know with the consequences of catching coronavirus. But what they're really feeling is they got bills piling up, they had pre-existing debts, and they want to work. And so we need to look at doing that, but in smart ways. One of the things I think we need to consider doing in the United States that the countries that have been really successful with disease management of coronavirus, and let me tell you, that's the phase we need to move into is disease management, have had a public health czar that the leadership of the country is appointed, given authority, and somebody who is from the field and that they would be the ones charged with coming up with the proper testing regimen that we need, both to see who has it and who had coronavirus, and then design the proper isolation protocols, which people in public health are very familiar, but those of us who are not, it's harder. For those going back to work, maintaining physical distance, and as has proven to be effective in areas with concentrated populations, wearing masks of whatever kind, whether it's a bandana or a homemade mask of any kind, seems to help reduce the spread of the disease. I have no doubt that we, over the summer, will develop our brilliant medical and scientific minds here in the United States and overseas, will develop an effective series of treatments 
for people who have coronavirus. That there will be drugs that are found to work. There are tests underway. And it's going to be very important that we share our knowledge with other scientists around the world, and they do so with us. And then a vaccine will come, but that's a 2021 thing. So in the meantime, we can't stay in shutdown for an exceeding long, exceedingly long period of time. And if mid-May is when it's best for us to leave our quarantines, it's also really important because the economic damage will be more limited than if quarantine continued for months forward. However, if we just said in mid-May, everybody go back and do what you're doing, that's not going to work because without effective treatments and without effective testing, you end up with a second wave that could be more dangerous than the first of coronavirus illnesses, hospitals being overwhelmed, and having really sad loss of life. The other thing I think we need, in addition to a public health czar, we need someone appointed as the central person by the administration to be the economic czar of coronavirus. I'll talk later about the continuing problems with people getting money to them that was part of what Congress passed, that the spigot just isn't opening. And we have so many uncoordinated actions going on right now. I think that having someone who is the economic czar, or whatever you want to call them, is very important. So I think we've got two things we've got to work on in parallel, and we must coordinate. And that is a public health official who coordinates how we handle getting people back into the workplace. And then someone else who sees in the interim and the time that may follow how we get proper economic assistance to people, including what's already in the law, voted in by Congress, particularly in the third stimulus law, that effectively that money actually starts to flow to people. We need someone who can cut through the clutter of the bureaucratic processes and get those things done because Americans need money to live on. They need food. They need to be able to pay their rent or their mortgages. But ultimately, we've got to get back to work and get back to work in a way that's safe. For people over 50, because think about it, I talked about everything about the two-thirds of Americans under 50, the low risk for them and all that, going back to work. What about over 50s or people who have extreme pre-existing conditions? I think we're going to have to rely on the unemployment system in the United States, unemployment compensation, to see that people can continue to live and at least provide for many of life's basics until we have effective treatments available so that people that are older that would be at more risk are able to resume activities that would involve being out and about. There are many people like me who are working from home and can work from home, and that's regardless of age. But that's only 30% of workers. And the other 70% 
there are people who, in order to earn a living, have to be out and about and could be putting themselves directly in harm's way. So it's time for your questions. I want you to post questions for me at clark.com ask. Producers Kim and Joel are alternating, asking your questions for you. And Kim, who's up first? First today is Ron. Ron says, my son's girlfriend is set to graduate from college in mid-May. She was being courted by several companies until the coronavirus hit. All of that went away now. She's now looking at unemployment instead of a job. Is this situation part of the unemployment provisions in the stimulus bill? As I understand the language, and we're we're seeing the the interpretation of the language change continually, but as I understand it, if someone was graduating from college, had already received a formal offer of employment, and that offer now no longer is live, you're eligible for unemployment based on having an offer letter or email. I am not aware of a college student graduating who had hot prospects but not a formal offer of a job being eligible for unemployment. Joel? Clark Susie says, my small business is a farm. I teach sustainable farming to homeschoolers and other folks. I raise heritage breed poultry, sell eggs, raise puppies and goats. Honestly, I was supposed to be expanding my farm to include several campsites. So is the government really giving away money or loaning to small businesses? And how do I apply for that? So there, there are loan programs, and I want to address this more in just a few minutes, that you would be eligible for. It's just been very difficult, even for people who have attempted to apply, to get the money going. The money will flow. It has just been very, very hard. If you go to sba.gov, not to apply for one right now, but to read the briefings on the lending authorities that are available, you'll find various forms of lending that you will be eligible for for your business. Am I answering the questions you're posting for us at clark.com slash ask? Kim, who do you have a question from? This is from Chuck. He says, I am a collection officer for a small faith-based credit union. We are very sensitive to our members' needs in view of this coronavirus crisis. I talk to and counsel a lot of struggling people who are having problems with their finances. I know there's many resources for unemployment and government assistance, but I'm not really sure where I should start. Do you have one or two convenient websites that you could point me to? There is no really thorough clearinghouse that I've seen on the various uh, assistance programs that are available. There are a lot that have been rushed out over just a very short period of time. They generally come under two broad categories. One that we were just referring to a moment ago, and that's assistance for businesses. The other is the expanded unemployment compensation that applies for people who are, for the first time ever, self-employed, people that are independent contractors, people that are gig workers, and with special additional federal money for all unemployeds that qualify of $600 a week for four months. So those are the two main efforts underway that you can know about for your members that are struggling, either business owners 
or just individuals that now face unemployment. Joel? Clark Russ wrote in, he says, I'm a landlord and my tenant can't pay the rent right now. Is there a program that can provide me with some rent reimbursement at this time? There is not that I am aware of where there's something that's specifically been designed for small landlords. The feds are working on a program for large landlords who will receive some accommodation. But to this point, I'm not aware of anything specific where lenders are working on behalf of small landlords who are not getting rent from their tenants. It's a tough, tough next couple of months for landlords. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. We're trying to help you stretch every dollar you got left right now. We're also doing that at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. And I want to tell you that we have a serious, serious problem with getting financial relief to individuals and small businesses. The system is broken down. The latest estimate, based on a new survey done by a small business trade group, the National Federation of Independent Business, finds that 70% of small business businesses have applied for one of the new SBA loans for coronavirus, but virtually zero of those 70% have had any loans funded. The number of people whose loans have been approved is slowly rising, is still very, very small. It seems that by the latest survey data, 4% of loans have been approved. 4%. This was supposed to be a near instantaneous process. It was described when the legislation passed the Congress weeks ago that a business would apply for one of the SBA loans, either the one that you have to apply for through a bank or credit union or FinTech, or the ones that you apply directly to the SBA, that the money would fund immediately that you'd be approved with a very simplified application and that the money would appear. Not happening. There are several reasons, and people are pointing fingers at each other, but they all make up part of the problem. One, the banks continue to whine that the guidance that they have received from the SBA does not clear them sufficiently of liability if they make a loan to an organization that turns out later to have submitted a fraudulent application. Now, the SBA has issued new guidance that says, don't worry about it. We're stuck with the fraud, not you, but the banks are still afraid. Second, the SBA database has continually broken down and banks credit unions and the fintechs have had a great deal of difficulty getting the applications processed there are reports from the trade association for the smaller community banks that their employees in many cases are having to manually enter data line item by line item 
when there's supposed to be a direct connection between the financial institutions and the SBA. So then you've got the thing going on, Bank of America facing a lawsuit right now, where Bank of America has said, we're not going to do all these loans. You're not going to be able to get one from us. You're not going to be able to apply. So think about how many trillions of dollars you and I as taxpayers put up to bail out the four giant monster mega banks, and they're sitting there doing their nails and driving nails in the coffin of small businesses instead of helping Main Street small businesses get their loans. And that's you I'm looking at at Chase. That's you I'm looking at at Citibank. That's you I'm looking at at Bank of America. And Wells Fargo, you got a special pass on this one. Hadn't really been talked about. Wells Fargo is under a tight cap of how much banking activity it can do because of all the criminal, continuing criminal investigations going on at Wells Fargo. They have received a special waiver that is allowing them to make these loans. So if you are a Wells Fargo bank customer, small business customer of Wells, and they told you, oh, we can't make these because we're under a federal collar, that is baloney, and push them to process your application. Now then the second thing, the direct loan, the idle loans, the disaster loans, supposed to be for up to $2 million for small and mid-sized businesses. They're so short of money, the money has evaporated, the number of applications so much greater that they've marked the $2 million down to $15,000. they have marked the $10,000 in grants typically down to $1,000. The $10,000 is supposed to fund in three days it's funding and looks like right now like in three years because if you're a small business and you need money to pay bills, if you have to wait two months for what was supposed to happen in three days, it might as well be three years. So we need a big focus on how to get the relief going to small businesses. And this has been a fail, a 100% fail. And we got to fix it. Because once a small business fails and it's no longer there, it evaporates. When things clear from coronavirus, that business doesn't reopen. The employees that work there don't have jobs to go back to. We must fix this. Now, talking about something else that needs fixing, unemployment compensation for people who are gig workers, self-employed, independent contractors. Do you know there are now states saying that they're not going to have their computer systems right to be able to pay that money to those three classifications of workers that are eligible under the temporary federal overlay for unemployment compensation? They're not going to be ready to send those checks till the end of this month or in May? Come on, governors. Put more resources to work. Transfer employees from other departments, other agencies, to your state unemployment department to get this money to people. 
we're past just not the point of people not paying rent. People got to eat. And we got to fix this. I want to comment on something I've had. Not one, not two, three. Now I have four people who have asked me in various um, tones, how can I, as somebody who's libertarian-leaning, be so passionate about getting relief to people from government? Aren't I all into people fending for themselves? This is a once-in-a-century health emergency. And people weren't doing anything wrong. People were doing things right. Businesses were doing well generally. And then, bam, like a meteor, everything changed instantly. And that's why I think that it is right and correct to take care of individuals and take care of small businesses. You know, we went through what happened during the banking scandals and the resulting financial crisis and the Great Recession, where all the assistance was only for big companies. We can't make that mistake again. We have to make sure we take care of ordinary Americans and small businesses. Kim? Right on, Clark. Um, Dan wrote in, after having heard all the problems with the SBA and the PPP loans, he had a creative idea and wanted to run it by you. What do you think about car dealerships being allowed to give out SBA loans? Well, car dealerships have active F&I departments, finance and insurance departments, and they would be potentially an outlet. The greatest outlet to get this done though are the lenders that specialize in small business lending uh, they're generally referred to as fintechs and they issue most of the loans to small businesses in the country as we had most of our community banks go away during the great recession the big banks just are not very good at it even if they wanted to be they're just not very good at doing small business relationships and small business lending and the fintechs that's all they do so a big effort by the sba to appoint the small the small business lending specialists to process the loan applications i think would be the easiest and quickest way to get lending going again but car dealers certainly could play a role because the F&I people have nothing to do right now. Joel? Clark Ryan says many small businesses are looking for customers to buy gift cards to support them during this downtime. What are your thoughts on buying gift cards to help but risking losing the value due to a potential bankruptcy or business uh, going out of business? I, I even see some of the bigger theater chains potentially looking at bankruptcy right now. Right. So, if you have money that you can spare, if you lost it um, as a result of a business going bankrupt and then ceasing to exist, this would be an exception to my normal gift card rule. Because if you're doing it because you want to try to help those companies and you do it going in with your eyes wide open that you very well may lose the money, I think that's fine. I know a lot of people who 
are real lovers of particular neighborhood restaurants that's like their comfortable place they go to have been doing just this buying gift cards to pump some money into those restaurants so they can hopefully keep their doors open when this is all over so if you want to do this as a as a way of you making a difference and you're willing to deal with the risk of kissing the money goodbye i think it's great kim all right diana says i belong to a big very well-known gym they're closed at this time i pay by automatic debit on my credit card I'm not receiving services for my money at this time. At first, they said they would freeze our memberships, which was fine by me. Now they sent an email saying that we could either choose a free membership for a friend or an extension of our membership by two months. I don't want either. I don't want to pay for the membership when I can't use it. What do I do? I, I'm i with you completely. And I know gyms are in the same situation as every other business that is shut down for now that they're trying to keep the doors open so they can be there when this is over but to bill you for a facility you can't use you have a right even if you're under a contract with the gym to dispute that charge with your credit card company the reason is there is a protection available to you for failure of a business to deliver goods or services. Obviously, they're not delivering the service that you're paying for right now. Uh, You're not going to have a good relationship with the gym if you do the dispute with your credit card. But it is the right thing to do if you want to protect your money. When this is over, you would still, when the gym reopens, you would still be under whatever membership obligation you've entered into which is a conversation for another day. I've never liked contracts at gyms. I don't want you to sign a contract with the gym, and I want you to be a member of one that you can cancel at any time. Joel? Clark Clarence wants to know, is there an affordable, reliable medical alert system that I could order for my mother? She lives alone, and because of this pandemic, well, we just want to provide her with an alert system that in the event of an emergency, she'd be able to call for help. She lives alone and out of state. So there's one that I have talked about for years, and it doesn't advertise. It's called Assistive Technology Services. The website is ATSCares.com, and they have a two-way pendant communicator that charges no monthly fees at all. It's a fantastic deal. There's nothing else like it in the marketplace. Again, the website ATSCares.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. If you've got a question for me, please go to Clark.com slash ask and post it. And then Kim and Joel are alternating asking your questions for you. And Kim, who do you got? This is from Ron. He says, Clark, some people are saying you can track your stimulus check when it will be deposited, but I can't find any confirmation on this. Is it possible to see when my check will come? Well, it's funny. There are two different pieces of information out there that are confusing. What the IRS is going to do is when that money has come to you, it will come direct deposit. Then there will be a letter that comes from the IRS approximately two weeks later. It'll say, hey, we sent you your money direct deposit. Did you get it? To make sure that your money did not go to the wrong place, that it actually was received, that it was credited to your account, and then a procedure for you to contact them if the money did not show up. The other thing is about knowing in advance is really for people who are being mailed a check instead of having direct deposit. And in that case, if you set up with the Postal Service something called informed delivery, it allows you for free to see your mail before it gets to you. And not the inside, they don't open it and read it, but the envelopes of what's coming to you. So you know if something doesn't show up, you know it's missing. In this case, you'd know you've got something, hopefully a check, coming from the U.S. Treasury. Joel? Clark Jonathan, speaking of the stimulus check, says, currently I'm still receiving my salary, but with the pause on student loans, should I be using this stimulus check to pay off my car loan in full? That is a great question. Um, Car loans usually carry a relatively low interest rate, but if your car loan is above four percent and if you are in a position where your job feels secure then i think that would be fine for you to wipe out your car loan it'll be one less bill for you to worry about going forward kim val says i am currently furloughed and my company filed for our unemployment it says that i qualify for 365 dollars a week but i was under the impression that there would be an additional 600 dollars per week can you explain the discrepancy yeah so the the 300 and something that you're getting is the existing state unemployment compensation then on top of it you'll get the 600 dollars what's happened is a number of states are delaying paying the 600 because they say they don't yet have the funding from the federal government. So it will be retroactive. So let's say you start getting 300 and something a week, and then all of a sudden you get a huge check. It will be your 300 and something plus your 600 plus whatever number of weeks they did not pay you the 600 that you were supposed to receive it from the feds. That money, the 600 additional, goes on for four months. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to. And this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. And I want to tell you that I have not been 
inside a physical store in more than a month. Uh, we've gone into, way before there were orders, we'd gone into quarantine and we've been getting, uh, for example, food. We've been getting food by either um, having it delivered to our home or using the various stores, store pickup things where uh, they deliver to the trunk of your vehicle. And we had a uh, pickup last night at Walmart where we picked up groceries. And I want to tell you that the availability of goods is still somewhat rough. 83%, because uh, I did the math, of what we ordered was actually in stock. And I don't know if that makes us lucky or unlucky compared to other people. That sounds lucky to me. And we're having no problem with that. And Walmart has this system where you let them know on your phone when you're there and all the rest. But while we were there waiting for the very nice lady to come out and put the stuff in our trunk, I watched people lined up because they're rationing who goes in the store. I think it's important to talk about what things you should do if you are going into a physical store, into a Walmart, a Target, you're going into a pharmacy, you're going into a supermarket, uh, follow the recommendations that only recently have become the thing being recommended in the United States, but have been otherwise in other countries for a while, wear any kind of bandana, mask, anything like that for two purposes. One, so that you're not as likely to pick up um, germs from other people and you're less likely with your hands being in a store and touching surfaces to then in turn touch your face, increasing the chance of illness. There's been a lot of back and forth about gloves. Um, I saw no one in line wearing gloves, but I saw probably three quarters of people wearing some kind of bandana or mask of some kind. So people have that part down. It's recommended that you use something when you're pulling like a, a freezer door open in a supermarket or anything like that, that you use a paper towel, anything to open that. If you have antiseptic wipes, use those. And just be very careful. If you have the ability, like with a lot of stores, you can pay for your purchases on the store app on your phone. Uh, that is a better thing than putting the cashier potentially in danger from you when you don't know you're ill or you getting an illness from the cashier. And I know this feels like out of some scary movie, but these are simple steps that improve the odds that you will stay safe. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. And so I want to talk to you about a very important ripoff alert. Scamsters have come out of everywhere like they do in every disaster situation. But in this case, because we're in a 50-state full-court press against this terrible coronavirus, the scamsters are working overtime to steal from you. There are reports from the FBI, Federal Trade Commission, Securities and Exchange Commission, all reporting a dramatic uptick in the number of scams in the marketplace. And so I want to give you some special, special warnings for you as a would-be investor 
be aware that there are all kinds of investment scams circulating right now where people are pretending that a particular company you've never heard of has come up with a cure for coronavirus or has had a breakthrough on a vaccine or a treatment regimen or a testing protocol or whatever and do not bite on any of those because they are scams and you have to be extra 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 careful there are going to be all those things that i talked about there are going to be improvements in testing there are going to be treatments that we develop and there eventually will be a vaccine but you're not going to find out from some email or text message about some breakthrough that you're going to be the lucky one to be able to invest in that's just a hook and a scam Speaking of a hook, be very wary of clicking on any link. I, you know, this is a regular thing, but especially true now. Criminals are downloading viruses to your phone through text messages, what's known as smishing scams. They are um, saying, oh, there's blah, blah, blah for you information about new money you can get in a grant from the federal government because of coronavirus or whatever. And... You'll click on the link, and it may take you to some information, but in the meantime, loads a virus on your phone, i.e. same thing with emails coming to your computer. Do not, do not, do not click on hyperlinks in any email pretending to be from a financial institution or someone with a hot tip for you, anything like that. If there really is something that you're alerted to, and you don't know if it's friend or foe, go to the website of whatever it supposedly is and type it in in the browser on your phone or the browser on your laptop. But do not be hoodwinked into clicking on any hyperlinks at all because I can tell you nothing good is going to come from that. And anybody who says click here for more details on your stimulus check, Never, 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 not ever click on that link. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.